Dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space, CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. Thanks again, one and all, for joining us for another edition of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. So glad to have you join us. My next guests have created a new cannabis hemp consumer insights and strategy firm, thus fulfilling a much-needed void for marketers with actual consumer insights based on a 20,000-person-strong research tracker across the United States with Global Default. Just in the last month, this company has been brought to light, and I'm here with the co-founders of Oasis Intelligence, Laura Albers and Ben Wu. Laura, Ben, thanks for being here with us. Uh, Thanks so much for having us. We're happy to be here. Great to join you. Not only don't ask these kind of questions, but the Oasis idea. Give me the uh, idea, the concept of how an Oasis would really fit into the area of Canvas and uh, data and research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, we're really in a knowledge desert. Uh, There's a lot of of information out there today that really centers around transactional data, but it doesn't really show who these consumers are, who's actually behind the purchase, um, who's out there looking at cannabis and at the hemp market, and we really want to understand and provide context. And we've, you know, so so far people have really been making decisions based on gut instinct and on, Mm -hmm. well, what works for me as 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 a consumer should work for everybody, right? Um, but unfortunately, as more and more, more and more people come into this market, uh, both on the consumer side and on the business side, um, that's not necessarily the case. And so what we're looking to do is really provide that oasis of information about the consumer in order to help companies make decisions with, uh, with, with, with less risk and better ROI than they would um, just kind of guessing and checking as they go. Now, Oasis Intelligence, according to the press release, it re- represents the voice of the consumer a critical piece of the puzzle that's been missing until now. Understanding and having empathy for the real people purchasing products means businesses can better align their product portfolio and marketing with their consumer demand. So talk to me about the empathy component. That's a new, that's a kind of a different spin that I've heard from companies that deal with point of sale or data. Talk to me about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think what is important to the consumer is that they're not just a label, they're not a consumer, they're me and you, they're people. And how are companies really going to get ahead um, when you have a product that is now in the process of being regulated across the United States, it is going to become uh, trusted that the quality will be to some, to some extent at, you know, at par across the board. So how are you really connecting with people? How are you setting yourself apart as a brand? Um, what is your mission and how does that connect to people's actual mm-hmm. needs? And with that, you know, what, what empathy really represents to us is the need to really understand things from the consumer point of view. Um, you know, right now, uh, the retail shopping experience of a consumer in the cannabis world or in the hemp world um, is unlike any other that you, uh, unlike any other consumer experience in the country. Um, you know these things are highly regulated. There's lots of things that have to be on the labels. Um, brands are, though are held back from many traditional marketing channels, and so a lot is put on the label, and a lot is uh, is put on the consumer only in the narrow period of time that they are in front of that shelf or that they're in that dispensary. Mm-hmm. So really understanding how they make decisions, sort of what these terms mean to them. 
um, you know, do uh, which consumers know what terpenes are? Which consumers really know what CBD is? Versus they're just going by the they're just trusting it because their aunt, who's really smart, said to do this. So it's really understanding how those consumers make that decisions and understanding what what they currently know and what they need to know in order to get the most out of their products and out of the category in general. Bit of an oxymoron because you think of the fact that if I just do a search for cannabis and empathy. There's always yeah. studies about, oh, how cannabis, you know, it creates a lack of empathy. And I'm like, you know, it, come on now. Yeah. Uh, now, would this also say the same thing that there's a need of empathy for the people that instill this programming uh, that you're able to offer because of the fact that, you know, there's a lot of companies that have a lot of people that are not that business savvy. They've kind of come into a windfall of venture capital investment money. They don't know what to do with it. And mm-hmm. if they're wanting to run their business, they're running, running dispensaries, they're wanting to do something that's whatever seed to sale. They mm-hmm. don't have necessarily the wherewithal. That's why a lot of corporate types, a lot of real business savvy individuals come in, whether for good or for nefarious reasons. But then you also need people that are able to go ahead and help these people cope with, you know, having to advance themselves in business when they never have before. Definitely. And, you know, we've, uh, Laura and I are used to working with, with growing businesses as well as more established businesses. And oftentimes in those growing businesses, there are certain individuals who, who may have the right idea about something. And it's just a matter of them helping to, to make their case uh, internally. Um, and so although many cannabis businesses do have a couple of individuals who have a better sense for the consumer, um, it's not always easiest for them to uh, to get prioritized among all the other things that that a business has to do. Um, and so we're really trying to provide those people the tools they need, not only to understand the consumer, but also to spread the understanding throughout the companies that they're working in. Yeah, the time the, the times of you know a build it and they will come strategy are really behind us. It's really about creating that bridge between a brand and the consumer and mm-hmm. making that connection happen because that is the pathway to success. Payments.com, which uh, take the A and the, take the vowels out of it. They recently <laughs> wrote, quote, when considering the financial services, FinServe challenges in the legal cannabis sector, the biggest point of friction that almost always comes to mind first is the point of sale, enabling marijuana businesses to accept electronic payments from the retail customers. And there's a lot of companies we talk to in the space here on Blunt Business that deal directly to point of sale and really just trying to go ahead and get a good tracking of what any purchases and transactions are being made. Uh, talk to me about um, what is, how you feel about that phrase and what kind of issues you help to go ahead and, you know, help sure. those companies with point of sale. So that, that point of sale is really where the rubber meets the road um, in the interaction between the consumer and the brand. Um, you know, if you think about all of the all the activities that lead up to to that interaction, you know, there's there's only so much research a consumer can do into products that might be there on the shelf waiting for them. Yeah. Um, there's only so much that a brand can do to help get that message out to the consumer about, hey, here's what to expect. Um, and so we see a lot of opportunity in improving that point of sale shopper experience. Uh, and in doing so, in helping consumers in ways that, that really works for them, um, not just works for uh, necessarily for the owner of that shop, but because there are just so many stakeholders that are brought to bear there. Yeah, I think you know, having the ability to give more uh, context specifically around what's happening in these shops is going to open up the opportunity to really connect with mm-hmm. the future consumer, the person that is 
um, been talking to their family members, has asked every person that they know that's used cannabis in the past, whether it's topically or ingested, you know, had an edible, smoked a pre-roll, whatever it might be, there's still um, a lot of stigma attached. There's still a lot of resistance. And sometimes I like to think about it as like going to the gym, getting through the front door <laughs> and signing up to work out is, is like one huge barrier you have to go through. And so for the, the people out there that are, that are thinking about this and that have heard about it and have even done you know, their own research, there's still a level of need to like mm -hmm. help them get through the door. And so yeah. the POS data that is available doesn't really give us insight into who that person mm -hmm. is and the struggles that they carry. Yeah, and uh, it's, Go ahead, it's, um, it reminds me of uh, that, uh, I would say that public school teachers end up uh, performing so many other duties in the course of their work that um, because they are also doing, um, you know, they're doing general life skills training, they're doing uh, babysitting in some cases, um, you know, the corollary for us is that butt tenders are being asked to do a lot of different jobs, and it's not just it's not just uh, tabulating up uh, a, a shopper's uh, cart and then making sure they get exact change. They're really having to do a lot of education work. Um, so they're really having to do a lot of fundamental training of the consumer of, hey, here's how to think about edibles. Hey, here's how to think about this kind of vaporizer. Or for the more advanced consumers, here's the difference between between butter and wax and shatter and keef and whatever new concentrates they're coming out with by the time I finish this sentence. Both of way on that, can I tell you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm here with uh, Laura Albers and Ben Wu, co-founders of Oasis Intelligence. Let me go ahead and direct you during the break to go ahead and check out oasisintelligence.com. And we'll be back with more questions with Laura and Ben. Uh, coming up, we want to go ahead and ask about the issues that high-risk businesses face and how the cannabis industry is one of those. We'll talk more with Lauren Ben after this. Stay with us. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. The, the Green, Green Peak, Peak with Richard Zwicky. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with Laura Albers and Ben Wu with Oasis Intelligence here on CannabisRadio.com. Business.com wrote a story 
about the issues high-risk businesses face and the cannabis industry and how it's being one of them. We talked about that right before the break. Quote, they said, businesses that operate in the cannabis industry are automatically considered high risk due to the ongoing federal prohibition of cannabis and a potential legal volatility associated with industry. No obvious, obvious quote there. It's easier for businesses in other industries to avoid the high risk, high risk designation by ensuring there are mitigating factors that put credit card processors at ease, end quote. Talk to me about how your team is tackling those mitigating factors and what your system is able to tackle in that situation. Sure. So really, our, the big advantage is that we're able to look at people as more than just that transaction they're making there. Mm -hmm. I'm able to show that actually all kinds of people buy cannabis. It's not just people who, uh, who you may associate with the criminal element or criminal activity. Um, you know, I feel like so much of, of that point of sale experience is as if you are, uh, as if you're committing some kind of clandestine act of, of crime and it has to stay in this box and nobody can see it. Right. Um, better put it in a, a bag that is impossible to open just in case you ever want <laughs> to open that bag later. Um, and so, you know, I feel like we're really helping to kind of show that there are regular everyday folks uh, that are, that are, that are, uh, that are consuming uh, products from this plant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the study that we did, we didn't look at just, you know, 21 to 44 year olds. We looked all the way on up. And so we're seeing the cannabis habits of, of people in their 80s. Uh, we're seeing the habits of people who didn't get started until they were already in their 50s. You know, we're seeing that really it's, it's, um, it's a, much richer, um, a, a much richer portrait of humanity that, that we paint inside of this box that I think can help people get away from the idea that this is a risky bunch of folks doing risky activity. So, um, so I think that's, that's one way that, that we're really helping to chip away at that. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the ways to, to mitigate risk is also through education. And if there's mm -hmm. one battle cry this industry has, it's more education, more education. And so that really uh, is, is a focus for us as well, is how to um, help brands know what to educate upon. And what are those things that people really need to know? Um, spoiler alert, you know, the, the consumer and the, the future consumer both have a lot of the same questions. You know, just because you might be, um, maybe you you started consuming cannabis, you know, when you were in college and uh, you just continued to grow with the industry. You live in California and it's part of your day-to-day -day life or, you know, it, it, it's regular in your cultural purview. But no. somebody... One of the things I want to consider is the fact that with customer service in any retail space now, there's a lack of it. I mean, there's yeah. no more human, human contact. Everybody's looking to find more artificial intelligence, much more of a mechanical route or a, yeah. electronical route to service consumers. Yeah. But this is against the grain. I mean, what do you do to go and counteract against when there are companies that think, well, we can probably find something that will, you know, some kind of tutorial or something that will go ahead and satisfy the consumers so that they'll still buy from us without having to bring on more people and do more training and bring in firms like yours to do customer service. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think there's, um, there's a lot of hope that something like that, that is easy and algorithmic and sanitary is, is, is going to actually fix this, but I don't, I don't see this being a problem that a chat bot can fix. Um, there's no, um, there's no chat bot, uh, written that can just take the question of, I, I, I don't get it. And then go from, <laughs> um, and that's, and that's something that they can only get from that human interaction. Um, and so, 
what um, so what, what what we've done is we've been able to to point out some of the uh, some of the priority areas for people to educate it on and and you know as as Laura mentioned even among seasoned veterans they still have a lot of questions about how stuff works um, and not even not even super deep questions about well you know what um, you know what is what is the exact right thing to do for a certain specific ailment that I have, but things as high level as, well, what is CBD and how does it work exactly? And then, okay, well, okay, that's how it works. How much do I need for, for my purposes? Um, what about ratios? I've heard that's all the rage. Like, yeah. is that what yeah. I should be considering? So these are, yeah, yeah. So these are, these are things that, um, you know, if you look to, um, uh, to just the way that pharmacies handle things, they, um, they know that people even need instructions on how to apply a bandage or how much Tylenol to take, or when not to take another Tylenol. Um, and so people still have these questions about over-the-counter medications that have been freely legally, legal and available for over 100 years. And so um, to think that we can get away with uh, doing anything less um, with, uh, with a much newer, um, uh, much newer world, I think is, is uh, hopelessly optimistic. So yeah, and I, I love the way you put that because of the idea it should be more the dispensary feels more of a pharmacy kind of feel. Mm -hmm. The experts are in front, front and center to go and help service uh, clients. And that's a style that's never going to change anyway. Yeah. I appreciate that because I'll, I'll go and take the devil's advocate hat off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, this article uh, recommends what can you do if you're labeled a high risk business? So they kind of offer uh, this is what mm -hmm. business.com I made mention of. Yeah, they said if you find yourself labeled when signing up with a credit card processor, take these steps to mitigate perceived risks. Mm -hmm. They said you should establish clear communication with their consumers or customers, excuse me, to avoid transaction issues. In addition, they should ensure that enough fraud prevention systems are in place. Keeping a lower chargeback ratio below one percent is also a great mitigating factor. Then they also mentioned to maintain a significant amount of liquid cash on hand. Well-capitalized businesses, whether they are considered high-risk merchants or not, are better positioned to handle losses or shortfalls in revenue. Credit card processing service providers can view hefty cash reserves as a mitigating factor as well. And finally, to work to reduce chargebacks to help improve your standing with a credit card processor, if you reduce your chargeback rate to less than 1%, processors look upon you favorably. Upon these points, is there anything else you would add to offer? What do you think about those points being made? I think, you know, when it comes to a high-risk business, uh, this category as a whole um, really st stands at the top of the heap, I think. And, you know, as we're, as we're seeing a lot of uh, litigation happening in the States Act and the, the Safe Banking Act come through, um, we're going to be seeing change. Right now, many, uh, many businesses really have their hands tied. And so how do, you, how do you mitigate those risks other than follow the rules? be in compliance and really um, do the best you can in order to serve the customer because at the end of the day, like this is going to continue to be a demand uh, market, right? Mm -hmm. And so when, when, it comes to, when it comes to credit card processing, I, I, I wish that I could snap my fingers and <laughs> just say like, <laughs> it's, it's okay, we, we, we have the ability to manage our cash flows just as any other uh, business across the world. And I think that it's going to continue to take that understanding of mm -hmm. due diligence, of self-regulation, of being a responsible business owner and using practices that put you in good standing and 
being, um, being in the light. You know, I think the way forward is coming out of the shadows and the legacy, uh, the legacy market coming into the fold, um, bringing all of that history, that richness, that culture, and that know-how, really, and meeting that with a corporate business structure of today that leads our entire society. How do we find that, that piece together? And we can't really move forward without uh, regulation actually being in place in order to allow us to really flourish. In the meantime, I think it's really about being, um, being on top of your, uh, being on top of your business practices and finding finding partners that can help you get there. Um, you know, coming from uh, corporate traditional backgrounds, being able to service companies, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 brands, we have an understanding of what it takes to be uh, aligned to um, the, the business needs of today in order to succeed. And that's really what we're looking to do for the cannabis industry in particular. It's really help pendulum swing way. because of the fact that the way you have to service consumers or customers and those that are servicing or providing you with uh, help to go ahead and make your business grow, it's a, a really has a hard kind of dynamic to work off of. And you know, there's a whole lot that you're offering to, in terms of information. I want to ask about that in terms of uh, your cannabis and hemp tracking study. I'll, I want to go and have you help us fill in on that. And you did mention the Safe Banking Act. I want to ask about Another issue that's is facing the industry that obviously you might be able to help with in terms of compliance. We talk about that so much here on the program. We'll go ahead and talk again with Laura Albers and Ben Wu, co-founders of Oasis Intelligence, after the break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. It's time to Hemp Present. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident Hempo Sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more 
with the Plant Profits. Welcome to another episode of Plant Profits. I am Bert Miller, your host. As you guys know, the purpose of this show is to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. Plant Profits, only on CannabisRadio.com. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Like final questions with Laura Albers, Ben Wu of Oasis Intelligence. Again, website is oasisintelligence.com. I want to go and ask now about compliance. It's a major focus for companies, like every other focus of companies for FinServe. It's very big for legal players in the space, but we have to talk about compliance. It's unfortunate. Some people, some companies just don't want to, you know, it's, it's the last thing to be worried about. If you're in a country like Canada that has to put up hundreds of thousands of dollars just to go ahead and a adhere to compliance it's ridiculous but it's necessary just to go and play game and play ball now payments.com reported with the house of u.s house representatives having passed legislation that there's a compliance hurdle that would take care of things with a safe banking act we've been talking about this for over a year here on the program so the idea would be this would allow financial institutions to legally provide banking and financial services to the legal cannabis sector the legislation would, in theory, remove the competitive advantage in with which marketed marijuana targeted fintech firms. It would remove the competitive advantage. How would the signing of this bill, to both of you, how would it change what you would offer to customers? How would it change the point of service game? Point sure. of sale. So I think so. It's a it's a really exciting piece of legislation that um, you know I think will will generally make the industry uh, just kind of grease the wheels of progress. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if we think about what happens in the absence of that, there is just less trust out there. When you have less trust, uh, a couple of things happen. One, the level of risk tolerance for people ends up uh, getting lower because there's less of a safety net, uh, because there's less that they can do to hold people accountable. Um, there's also uh, tough times when a business seems like it may be going out of business. So, you know, in cases like what we're seeing with, um, with MedMen approaching what would be a bankruptcy in any other industry. Uh, they can't call it a bankruptcy um, because of, because they don't have federal bankruptcy protection because of they're not allowed to be part of uh, uh, part of this world. So, you know, I think um, I think it'll generally help help companies um, just act with with more trust and maybe have maybe uh, have less of a need to vertically integrate uh, activities as we're seeing many companies do. Uh, one thing that we are seeing though with those companies that um, that have uh, been those marijuana targeting. Firms, we think that um, that they still will, that they still have a role to play going forwards. Um, you know, I think that there still is so much that is specific to this industry and uh, and how business is done that I think they'll um, they'll continue with that specialty. Um, but some of the things that may have been uh, lower value for them in the past won't be necessary for them to provide because regular banks will be able to do that. Um, in, in terms of how this changes, um, you know, how, how that uh, how that changes the point of sale game, um, you know, I think I think as as payments um, as as the the world of payments ends up uh, clarifying a bit, people uh, businesses will have much more choices uh, with what they do with cash flow uh, and how they how they're able to manage their money. Um, whether they'll be able to put that into expansion or into marketing or anything, I think that's also a regulatory question. Um, but I think just having those businesses have more choice of, of how to use that cash flow um, at, a, at a tactical level, I think will uh, do nothing but help. 
I think now, the Safe Banking Act, oh, go ahead, Laura. I'll go, let's yeah, your piece. I was just going to add to that, that I think it's really going to take the shackles off and really allow the, the entire industry to really flourish because it will signal to the entire country that this change is here to stay. You know, this, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. It's out. <laughs> no. We're here. <laughs> exactly. Now, the Safe Banking Act, I want to give some context to our listeners. Uh, what's the latest about that? Because really over the holidays, it's been standstill in the Senate. So the latest news I have about that is now there have been more than 30 organizations co-signing a letter to Senator Mike Crapo, who runs the Senate Banking Committee, to urge him to advance the House-approved version of the bill. And so far, we know that the Safe Banking Act passed in September, bipartisan uh, support. And right now, the chairman has said he intends to have the bill considered in his committee, expressed concerns about the bill and other aspects of cannabis policy not related to banking, and uh, really – just waiting to come find out what's being done. It's just, again, there's a lot of things in Washington, D.C. that are taking, you know, priority, which is unfortunate, but we're waiting for this to really help out. And in the letter that was sent to the chairman, they mentions that this is going to help work with the state regulated cannabis industry, fin services, and other interested stakeholders on a solution that supports rather than hinders this burgeoning industry and the will of the American public. This just needs to get passed along. We're all kind of crossing fingers and toes, hoping that will happen. Now, let's talk more about data. Laura, Ben, you've been so wonderful. Thank you so much for making time to join us. Let's go ahead and talk again. Oasisintelligence.com. You are conducting the Oasis Cannabis and Hemp Tracking Study. It's consisting more of more than 20,000 current and prospective participants from all 50 states of Washington, D.C. This is a, quite an undertaking. So you're reporting that the cannabis industry is poised for new growth in 2020. Newly legalized adult shops in Illinois have done millions of dollars in just the first few days of 2020. So talk to me about the tracking study, the work that's being put into it, the manpower, and what kind of results are you looking to go ahead and deliver once all, all the information is aggregated? Sure. So, so what, we've, what we've developed is, uh, is something that is, uh, is not new to the world, but is new to the world of, of cannabis and hemp. Um, in other places, uh, there are longstanding studies that, uh, that talk to consumers about how they think about certain products, how they use them, what the role of it is in their life. Um, but in cannabis, we just haven't seen that yet because the companies that are used to providing that haven't, uh, haven't expanded into this industry yet for uh, various, uh, mostly regulatory reasons. So, um, so what, what we've done is we've, we've performed this, uh, this study such that we're able to use different pieces of it to help different companies better understand their consumers, and make decisions based on that in order to grow. So although we started with that big number of 20,000, if we're working with a company that just, uh, that is based in Arizona, but has operations also in California, that's working in pre-rolls and edibles, um, that's a very specific subset of that 20,000 that we then look to to understand who those people are, how they're making decisions, what are their attitudes on things that are going on in the space. So basically, we, we then create those reports uh, in order to, to help those companies, uh, again, better understand those consumers and make decisions based on that in order to grow. And really quickly, uh, talk to me about just the size of the sample that you're looking to get. What, was it just the number that came up uh, out of, just out of, out of blue or just that was a feasible sample that you thought that would definitely give a lot of people notice to what findings you, you come up with? Awesome. Well, that's a great question. So what's, what's important for us was being able to understand everything on a state-by-state -state basis because everything in cannabis happens on a state-by-state -state basis. Okay from regulatory all the way through brands and then uh, even how, how retail environments work. 
So it was important for us that we had at least a couple hundred people per state. Um, and so uh, what that then became though was we were interested not only in current users, but also in prospective users. So in those that are not currently using cannabis, but are very interested in starting um, over the course of the next three months. And so, uh, so that, uh, and we also wanted to understand both hemp and THC, I'm sorry, uh, both, uh, both hemp CBD and, uh, and cannabis, uh, both THC and CBD. And so that meant we had to look at both cannabis and hemp and THC and CBD and interested non-users as well as current users. And so ended up being such that we needed to have about 400 people per state in order for us to be comfortable saying that we could understand what's happening on that state basis. And not just any 400 people. We needed to make sure that they were 25% each of these four different age ranges that we had and that within each age range, that age group was half male, half female. And within each age gender group, that that was roughly representative of the ethnic breakdown within that state. So also, was there a, what was the significant breakdown between cannabis and hemp industries? So um, we wanted to make sure that we had um, at least 200 people uh, per state who um, were interested in cannabis and at least 200 per state that were interested in hemp. But what we found was actually there was really significant overlap between the yeah. two. Um, and that was one of one of the things that was uh, a bit surprising to us mm -hmm. um, was seeing that there are very few people that are cannabis only. Uh, many that are into cannabis are, uh, are also open to hemp really like understanding, um, you know, you talked about the 20,000 and why it's, it's also it's a huge number. It's a huge number. And yes, we did want to go big. Like we definitely wanted to um, <laughs> do something that no one else is doing because it is really needed. And the passing of the, the, the hemp farm bill, um, there's so much need to understand what's going on across the, the country. Um, and I believe that you know, as people become more accustomed to understanding the role of hemp and CBD in their lives and being more familiar with it, becoming more comfortable mm -hmm. with it. This acts as an educator as, and also as a, um, as a lead into plant medicine overall. And so once you become familiar with something, then your, your mind starts to open. And as those, um, those unregulated states become medical and then go into, um, uh, recreational, you know, as the country turns, I think being able to watch what happens on a state by state and regional level, as well as being able to then cut it by the different types of regulation in each of these, in each of these markets, it's really going to only benefit the greater whole of the entire industry. Um, because I believe that it's, it's, it's all interconnected. Absolutely. There's so much to be learned and so much to be found. And I really, for what's going on in business just to go and make things better. First of all, there's a lot of research development needs to be done in terms of compliance in order to, for, in order for legislation for, you know, government bodies to go and crack down on the illicit market. And also most importantly, education, educating on both sides of the aisle in front of the counter or behind the counter. There's just so much that needs to be learned and understood. And I, it's ambitious. Great word, and ambitious to put 20,000 people together, 50 states. I commend you both and your team for being able to go and put that together. I can't wait to see what some of your findings become. Once you have some findings, I would love to have you back both on the program to go ahead and talk about that. That'd be great. We would really appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, so the website is oasisintelligence.com. Uh, besides the hemp, uh, cannabis and hemp tracking study, is there anything else you want to point people out to when they go to the website or where they can find you on social media? Sure. So I'll just say that in, in addition to what we're doing um, coming from that tracking study, uh, if there's a question that a business uh, or investor has that 
that is not spoken to explicitly in data that we already have. We also do custom studies that even go beyond quantitative into qualitative and ethnographic solutions. So things like interviews and focus groups or things like mobile diaries or online community boards. Uh, we do these as custom projects for companies that have uh, more, uh, more specific needs that aren't spoken to already. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a wild world out there and we want to be that resource and that, uh, that bridge that can help connect people. And again, going back to the piece around empathy, um, being more human centric, personal, um, person leading, you know, in order to develop those products and the brand that really connects with, with the person, uh, it's going to just mm -hmm. take us all to the next level. That's the thing. You guys are basically California. The empathy, that's just like the quotient that happens over there. California people were just nice every time I've been there. And I think that's just really what, what it, it just resonates through everything that you're doing in the business. Laura Albers, Ben Wu, Racist Intelligence, thank you so much for being with us on Plant Business. And again, uh, honestly, do come back with us when you have some uh, results from the study. We'd love to learn about it. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, and that's again, thank you all listeners for listening to another edition of Blunt Business. You can catch past episodes by going to CannabisRadio.com. You can find all of our shows through all major podcast portals. So I need to list them all. I'll do it real quick for you. So we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, among many others. Just look for us. You'll find it. Just look for Blunt Business. Make sure to rate and review us as well. We hope you'll do that. And thank you all for listening. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.